Google knew about this whole Russia thing 11 years ago. You'll find out why on Where the Money Is. We keep thinking we're not going to talk about Russia, and then they shoot planes down out of the air, and now there's, we have to talk there's about a lot, I mean, there's a lot going on there. It's you got to talk about it. And, yep. I mean, Google knows about them 11 years ago? Google knew about them? Well, one of the founders of Google knew about them 11 years ago because he was Russian, and then he made the smart move and came to the United States. But uh-huh. uh, we'll talk about that with our first headline, if we can go ahead and throw that up from EIA.gov. This is a resource we like to use a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, they said, oil and natural gas sales accounted for 68% of Russia's total export revenues in 2013. No, sh- no secret that Russia produces a lot of oil, a lot of natural gas. Mm-hmm. Just like many OPEC countries, their budget depends heavily on taxes, on the production and exportation of it. I think they said about 50% of uh, their overall federal budget last year was stemming from the production or exportation of natural resources. But since they have so much in the ground, they feel like they can wield the power over the entire world because there's no way to readily replicate their production mm-hmm. if they decide to import, uh, kind of infuse sanctions on Russia. Um, or if Russia decides to pull back, neither one of those are really going to have an immediate effect. Uh, talking about Google, Sergey Brin, back in 2003, in an interview, called Russia Nigeria with snow and said that the rulers there were, a quote-unquote, a bunch of criminal cowboys trying to control the world's energy supply. Eleven years ago... Criminal cowboys. Criminal cowboys trying to control the world's energy supply. So that was the alert to us 11 years ago, and now you're seeing it play out after they've been building pipelines into into Europe. Everyone's now so dependent on them. $355 billion of exports in 2013. And then they sign a $400 billion deal with China for the next 30 years to export natural gas to them. The only thing I'm thinking about <laughs> when I hear criminal cowboy is Vladimir Putin when he was meeting with George W. Bush in Texas in his ranch when he was wearing cowboy boots. But there you go. That's something totally different. Um, what, what I get from this is uh, what I thought was interesting about this article was the amount of natural gases. When we're talking about you know, putting sanctions on Russia. Mm-hmm. It always comes to natural gas. It's always about natural gas it's that they're shipping about, yeah. to Europe. But four times more revenue is yeah. for export revenue is from actual crude oil and crude oil or uh, condensate that they're shipping. Um, so, I, you know, I thought that was more interesting to look at where their money is actually coming from. And, you know, the European Union are saying, yeah, I think we need to you know, put some sanctions on Russia, but we're not going to do it with natural yeah, exactly. gas. We're not going to do it with oil or these fuels because we need them so much. And, you know, all these exports are basically coming from either Turkey or Europe. So what they're coming out and saying is, you know, this is really going to affect us. We can't, we don't have, we can't wield that power. Yeah. But what they're trying to say um, is, you know, Russia's trying to get up into the Arctic and drill a lot of uh, wells up in the Arctic and get a lot more natural gas and oil there. Why don't we put sanctions on bring our technology to them? Yeah. You know, if you look at ExxonMobil, that could be one area, but you know they already just sent a ship over there, right, to go drill in the Arctic. Exactly, and I mean that could be a project that ends up costing five hundred billion dollars. So that's where they're saying, you know, if we're going to put sanctions, let's put sanctions here. Obviously, that's not going to work because these projects are twenty years long or longer. So, you know, if you're looking that far down the line, uh, I mean, this this is basically worthless. I mean, you're not going to have any sanctions on them. They, We don't really have any power. Europe doesn't have any power to really uh, put anything meaningful um, out there. And if they did, they wouldn't have power because they wouldn't have the natural gas. Yeah, or, or Actual oil. physical power. They wouldn't have the actual power to power their, uh, their, their electricity. And I think it's funny, you know, you look at the data 
versus the media. Mm -hmm. Media is in the United States talking about, oh, natural gas, we need to export it to save Europe because of Russia. Or, or and now you look at the data, natural gas really isn't the main thing to them. No, or, or let's uh, release our strategic reserves. Right. We can really pressure oil prices. It's not looking not likely. <laughs> no, it's, I don't think it's so. Not, uh, we don't have that type of power, and I think Russia still is in a commanding position when it comes to their actual resources and you know, fifty percent of their federal budget, like you mentioned, is yep. quite a bit. There's not much we can do there because, you know, oil is always king and people need it. Yep, uh, the cowboy is uh, ruling the roost right now, so we'll continue to focus on that from an energy perspective. Hopefully, no more violence stems from it. Mm -hmm. Next headline coming from Barrons by way of Moody's: MLP governance structure puts investors at risk. MLPs have been all the rage the last mm -hmm. year or so with uh, Treasury bond yields record lows, everyone expecting them to rise, but then they don't. Mm -hmm. I saw an interesting cartoon. It was a dog in, pretending to be an investment advisor, and he said, I used to chase cars, now I chase yield. And that's what everybody's been doing with these MLPs. Prices are way up, multiples are way up, yields are way up. Uh, but the things that some people don't realize is a lot of these companies have general partners that mm -hmm. take a pretty significant cut right off the top called in incentive distribution rights, yep. or IDRs, and they get 2% of the company almost immediately. So uh, mm -hmm. the cost of capital is much higher for these MLPs that have GPs. I saw an article that we published uh, 2013 talking about the, the rash of MLPs combining with their general partners in 2009. Mm -hmm. uh, you look at Enterprise Product Partners, uh, I think it was the largest of the group, um, PVR Resources, Buckeye Partners, and uh, Natural Resource Partners did it in 2010. They lower their cost of capital, make themselves more competitive, um, and then they can entertain more projects because they don't have such a high hurdle rate. So mm -hmm. um, there are companies out there that don't have GPs, but some of the bigger ones still do. Yeah, they, they do. And I think what Moody's is saying is as, as individual shareholders, you don't have as much say because the general partner actually has, in, in most cases, more units mm -hmm. than the actual rest of, that, that's, yeah. out, that's out there to float. So when that's the case, you're saying companies that, you know, if the general partner has more influence, they could say to their limited partner, you need to start paying out higher distributions, even though if it's not safe yeah, for the company. And like you mentioned, that incentive distribution rights, that's all based on how much uh, distributions are out there. They, they have that fee, so they make sure that that uh, distribution is continually growing. Yeah, they usually and, increase the more money. Yeah, so if, if they were to put pressure saying that we need to grow this higher, then that incentive distribution right, goes up higher than that 2%. Mm -hmm. You start looking incrementally, it can get up to 15, 20, even 50% more uh, in incremental value. So you could see you know, payouts for the rest of unit holders get really absorbed because of the general partner. I think that's the worry here, but there is a lot of... Uh, um, I guess with the general partner and limited partner, there's a lot of alignment for both those companies. The, the limited partner really needs the financing arm of the general partner yeah, in a lot of a cases. A lot of cash flow or projects down. So, yeah, exactly. And the Kenner Morgan is, is one good example where they purchased um, Enterprise or not uh, El Paso yep. Pipeline Partners, which is a, a big deal that they put together. They put all the funding together and they slowly dropped it down to their unit holders. So that was a great example where a general partner could really benefit, um, really benefits the, having the limited partners mm -hmm. there because they have the financing there. They can expand and and since then, I mean, their distribution's been growing very steadily. So I think uh, it, there is some worries there if you find some management that's really trying to go out and, and manage some of the yeah. earnings. That could be troublesome. So I, I see where they're coming from, but for the most part, you're finding general partners that have a lot of incentive to make sure that their their uh, limited partners are growing at a sustainable rate and not trying to suck money out of them in the short term. Agreed. I think the main thing for individual investors is to 
not just look at Morningstar or Google Finance in order to determine whether you want to invest in an MLP, because they're not going to talk to you about the distribution rights schedule as you, as the 10K would or some other proxy forms on the website. So if you invest in an MLP and it has a general partner, make sure you take a deeper dive into the financials to really determine how much money is going to be flowing. Because some of them don't do the incremental increases, but mm-hmm. most of them do. So you definitely want to be cognizant of that and, and look at past deals to see which way you think they were aligned. Yeah, as an, as an investor in an, in an MLP, you want to make sure that the distribution is growing because there's two parts. There's the actual uh, unit that's mm-hmm. growing in value and then also the distribution. They both go hand in hand, but you want to make sure that they're both growing. Yep. Um, sometimes that's not the case. You'll get some <laughs> that get cut like Boardwalk uh, Pipeline Partners did. Uh, earlier, and then the stock gets slashed in half almost and at it, the same time. Exactly. So those are some of the worries. So you want to make sure that they have enough cash, go forward, make sure their business can continually grow yep. organically so you don't get too much debt. These are very debt-heavy instruments already, but you don't want them to get too far where they can't make the interest payments and they have to start cutting that distribution rate. One industry that's been happy for low interest rates, not, because, not just because investors have been flocking to them, but also because they can just roll that debt over mm-hmm. at 3 4 5%, which is extremely profitable for them right now. Moving on to the Oil and Gas Journal, we have uh, CIRI, uh, which is the Canadian Energy Research Institute, cost up for oil sands production. Um, No secret that oil sands is expensive, Mm -hmm. but to see costs continually increase is very prohibitive to production here. Um, You look at the the least amount that they saw that jump up year over year was 1.6% for basic mining extraction. Mm -hmm. That's another important thing is they're not drilling for this oil. They're they're mining for it. Uh, It's a completely different process, much dirtier, but we saw GE we talked about last week coming out wanting to clean up the oil sands with some of the bigger players. But then for the steam-assisted uh, mining, you have 4.4% increase. And for integrated mining, a 5.9% increase And in that's cost. worrisome. That integrated is already extremely expensive. Yeah, I mean, they're already looking at over $100 a barrel needed just to, be pr- just to even break even here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right now, the only one that is economically feasible at $100 based on Cushing prices, the WTI, West Texas Intermediate, is the steam-assisted. So it's more advanced than the basic mining, but not quite mm-hmm. as advanced as the whole integrated process. Um, Right now, you've got to look at companies that are producing either at the low prices or being able to sell at high prices. And the one that stands out clearly is Suncor, mm-hmm. selling 96% of its oil at international prices right now. So if I'm looking at the short term, Suncor is the only company that I'm going to be invested in in the oil sands. Long term, they're still probably number one, but you've got Canadian Natural Resources that's a very large leaseholder here mm-hmm. in the oil sands with tons of reserves. But they're not selling it at quite the high prices that, that uh, Suncor is. No, and you know you mentioned some of the smaller Canadian producers that are getting very are getting better lowering costs there. Uh, however, um, there's other companies like ConocoPhillips, mm-hmm. and um, they're you know they're a company that has a pretty big position up there, and ExxonMobil is another one where they are looking at trying to lower costs. And right now they're probably not making a whole lot of money from no, this. Yeah. They're hoping that you know. Once Western Canadian Select, which is the benchmark that a lot of this bitumen's actually priced at, starts increasing, then some of these projects, these pretty expensive projects, will start making more money. I think one of the worries that a lot of producers in the oil sands are looking at is, you know, production was up 11% year over year. They're producing over 2 million barrels a day. Uh, they're looking at maybe moving that up to 3.4 million barrels a day by 2020. That's a lot of oil coming online. There's not a lot of takeaway capacity rail right now. Pipelines are, there's a lot of red tape around moving pipelines. Obviously, Keystone XL is being held up by the United States, but there's a lot of pipelines in Canada that also 
are not getting the approval that they need, mm-hmm. and they're taking a lot of time to do that. So you're seeing the, the September futures for W for Western Canadian Select trading twenty three dollar discount to what we're getting in the United States. Holy smokes, and that's even more to Brent. And that yeah, and that that hurts even more. So that just shows the competitive advantage that Suncor really has right yeah. now, where they can actually make a lot of money, and that's why they're returning that six billion dollars to shareholders. Yeah. They got a lot of cash there. So if you're investing and you have a, a, a long term outlook and you're looking at the oil sands as something that's very going to be valuable for the future. Right now, a lot of these companies are trading at a deep discount. Suncor, compared to a lot of integrated majors, and they are an integrated yeah. major, is trading. Very well run one is that, yeah, at that. Absolutely. They're trading at uh, levels a lot lower. So, you know, it's a good, it would be something to look into, find these values. If takeaway capacity comes on and that Western Canadian select price starts going up, mm-hmm. a lot of these companies will be uh, making a lot better profits than you're seeing right now. And supposedly sitting on probably top three oil reserves in the world. So, mm-hmm. Long-term play here in my mind, so it might be a good time to at least take a look, like you mentioned, at some of these uh, undervalued companies. Absolutely. We know Warren Buffett has. Yeah, I mean, he's he's been in Suncor. Suncor, it's a good dividend-paying, growing. Can't argue with it. Yeah. Stable economy. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely good, good, uh, good oil play. Um, let's let's move on to the stock quiz. Okay, let's have headlines it. out there. How much money did Rich Kinder start his company with? This is a question that put a little uh, to frame it a little bit better. I'm reading a book, smartest guys in the room, looking at Enron, yep, and right. Rich Kinder was the president of Enron before Skilling uh, took over at that spot, and he was kind of forced out because he wanted to be the CEO. Basically, when he left Enron, he got a settlement, and he spent that settlement to buy a portion of Enron in pipelines uh, to grow his company. That was the first por- por- uh, purchase. So how much did he start uh, Kinder Morgan, his pipeline company, now the fourth largest yep. energy company in the United States? The amount of money that he started with, $10 million, $40 million, $110 million, or $140 million? What did he start Kenner Morgan with? I just love the fact that this guy came out of Enron. Imagine if he had stayed. Maybe the Enron would still be a company if he was a CEO. Look at how well he's done with Kinder Morgan. Absolutely no issues with this company no, in my mind. shrewd business, uh, man. <laughs> I mean, this is a great story. Uh, everyone else coming out of Enron is either in jail, dead, or disappeared off the face of the planet. Some did both in a lot of people's minds. Um, but I'm going to say it's probably a pretty hefty settlement if he's president trying to be the CEO. I'll say $40 million. $40 million. $40 million is correct. He got a settlement for $40 million. He turned around and bought uh, some pipelines that Enron didn't really want. They weren't yeah. looking for hard assets. They were looking more for trading at that time. So he bought them for $40 million. They're actually worth $325 million. He met up with one of his college buddies, assets. Uh, Morgan. So then where they got the name Kinder Morgan. Now it's enterprise value. It's the fourth largest company, as I mentioned, over $110 billion <laughs> in enterprise it's value. Amazing. So it's amazing how he built that up. And like you mentioned, just showing the dichotomy between what he, Enron was and what his company is, he makes $1 a year in salary. Yep. He doesn't take any stock options um, for his performance. They have no corporate jets, very strict overhead. Transparency. So, yeah. Extreme transparency. So he looked at what was going on there figured this was absolutely the wrong type of business. We're going to go the absolute other way, really get into hard assets, not the trading side of the business. And now it's 80,000 miles of pipeline, 180 uh, terminals. I mean, this is a huge, huge company, the biggest midstream company. Uh, so it's, a, it's just a great story overall. Agreed. And if you want some more transparency, we interviewed the COO, Steve Kane, mm-hmm. back in, uh, was it October? Sept- September. September of last year. 
You can look through the Kinder Morgan archives on fool.com, and you'll certainly be able to find that. Possibly even just YouTube it. Kinder mm-hmm. Morgan, Steve Kane, Motley Fool. That'll pop up right on the top. Yeah. So uh, on to my question for you, Joel. A little bit different. It's uh, pricing of certain commodities that we as U.S. citizens pay for on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. What has had the biggest price jump since the start of the 21st century? A, one pound of ground beef. B, a gallon of gas. Hmm. C, a movie ticket. Or D, electricity per kilowatt hour. That's, that's a tough one. Uh, I'm going to eliminate gasoline. Okay. Um, I'm going to eliminate movie tickets, although those are up so much. That's I think fine. if you looked from the 2000, or 1990s to now... That would probably be the, my winner. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with the price per kilowatt hour. That is actually, according to my source, the lowest of the four. Oh. Only 59.5%. Natural gas probably helped that out. Yes, it did. It, it fell off the uh, fell off a cliff, and so the prices rebalanced a little bit. Terrible gas. Gallon of gas was the number one, 176%. So I was... Since 2000 I was, to, to today. I was so far off. <laughs> you just had them flip-flopped. You, maybe you misread the question. Maybe uh, not no. the lowest. <laughs> I wish. I <laughs> so, wish. yeah, you have the gallon of gas, then uh, ground beef at 96% increase, Closely followed by movie ticket at 95% increase. So almost a mm. double the price of a movie ticket since uh, the year 2000. Guess that's why I don't go to movies. And me, I mean, either. Netflix is a lot cheaper. Mm-hmm. You can go have a room full of people for 9 bucks a month versus one ticket for eight fifty or 9 bucks di- uh, for two hours. Um, but the number one on the list was a barrel of oil at 315%. Wow. Wow. A lot of flow-through effects I'm, I'm expecting. I mean, you look at this, gallon of gas, obviously the most affected by the price of oil, mm-hmm. and it only really increased about half as much as the barrel of oil. So it takes time, but eventually the price of oil affects everything. I don't know if it's going to affect everything to a 300% degree, yeah. but it's not going to be uh, forgotten about. Um, surprisingly, I, thought, I saw rent, according to Case Schiller, was only at 40%. Is that right? Probably not in the D.C. area, but no, that's in the United be, States, it's only at 40%. Yeah, I guess that for the drop. I was thinking the same thing for gasoline, where yeah. 2005, you're looking at $4.50 yeah. gasoline. So I was, I was pricing that in a little bit, I just bit, remember I when I got my license in uh, like 2001 or 2002, and it was like 97 cents. That was nice. That's when you could actually go on road trips. Yeah, that's when you could do whatever the hell you wanted as a, as a high school I remember doing... Year. Road trips down the, the coast of California. I can't do that anymore. No, not at all. Especially because we have jobs now. Yeah, that's it's true. It's unfortunate. That's true. All right. Um, what's our Ask a Fool today? Let's, let's get into the mailbag. Yeah. Uh, first off, if anybody has questions, send them over our way. You can email us at energy at fool.com or tweet us at TMF Energy. Today we actually got a tweet. Yes, we did. Uh, question. Uh, it's from Scott, and his tweet is at golfer17059. So thanks for your five question. 5 niner, one zero, one one zero, five niner. I hear a niner in there. <laughs> uh, the question is, what would be a good stock for the, for the next five to ten year horizon? It seems like energy is a must-have sector. I'll go ahead and preface that with he complimented us on enjoying our show. And then he asked the question. Uh, that's a nice man. That's a nice guy, Scott. Appreciate that. Scott, thank you. So good, good stuff. We were talking before the show. I had a different stock in mind until the market opened this morning. Uh, when the market opened, <laughs> uh, it's a stock that I am currently a shareholder in. I probably will be buying more. Yep. It was down quite a bit after earnings, and really the earnings met expectations. Yeah, For the second quarter in a row, this is a stock that's dropped after meeting expectations. It's a fantastic stock that 
I will have for five or ten years. That's my long-term horizon. This stock, Core Labs. Yeah, Core Labs. CLB. It's a. I mean, it's a fantastic. Not eight or nine percent right now as we're talking. Yeah, and, and basically, it was just they're looking at the third, fourth quarter, and they said, you know, here's what our low guidance is. Um, if we don't have a couple projects come online, this we'll be looking here. There's a good chance that we get some projects coming in, and we will hit our yearly numbers mm-hmm. that we mentioned going into the year. So, why it's down so much, I don't really get. I mean, this is a company that tells you exactly they're what they're going to free do. Cash flow, and they're so honest. Yeah, yeah. You're right. I mean, they they say every quarter, there's three things we're focused on. This is what's going to drive our stock price. We're looking at free cash flow. We're looking at always maintaining the return on invested capital above a certain level, and that's really Industry a high. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's very high hurdle right there. And then you also look at we're going to return capital sh- to shareholders. And once again, this quarter uh, th- that they just uh, announced, the amount of money that they returned per shareholder was more than the earnings per share that they brought in. So it's just showing that they have so much cash. They're in a business that's not capital intensive. They're really yeah. not that. I mean, it's they have nobody else. That's, contrast to most of the other energy sector. Yeah. because you're right, capital intensive. And, and intellectual uh, property there. So they have a lot going on. And 20 cents of every dollar of revenue is free cash flow. So the, <laughs> who, on, who right? can't like free cash flow? Yeah. So this is a company, like you mentioned, that if you look over the last year, it was 200, trading at $220 was its high. Yep. I mean, it could be down to $150 per share. Now, a great growth potential. I mean, they're looking at oil projects and offshore markets is going to be a big growth mm-hmm. for them. This is an area that's growing it's going to double it by 2020. Big oil. The U.S. is growing fast right now. Just wait till China, Argentina, and other countries get on board with this whole shale thing. Oh yeah, I mean shale resources. They're they're doing a lot of the studying for those. Uh, they're off offshore. Offshore, they're very leveraged. Not not leveraged in a bad way either. They're talking about if they spend the same amount of money mm-hmm. on land versus the same amount of money offshore, the revenue is two or three X that offshore mm-hmm. that they're expected to uh, return. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so it's, they're all markets that are growing yep. that are, and are expected to grow for 30, 50 years. So if they're the number one person in the space that, with all the knowledge that are going to uh, move the amount of oil that people are actually going to be able to extract, mm-hmm. I mean, if you can get 2% more oil, you're talking about billions of dollars. So yes. this is a company that's in a lot of need. Um, they're, I mean, financially sound. Not right now they're trading... I, I mean, after this uh, this drop, I, I'm probably don't be surprised if you if I, see some insiders joining you on the buying yeah, market yeah. or even the company itself because they've been very advantageous in stock buybacks, mm-hmm. and to see a stock price drop seventy dollars in a, just the last few months, I wouldn't be surprised to see some of the CEO, CFO, or just CLB buying back some shares. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so that's my that's that's I think both of our stock yeah, for the I next. I think we might have had something different. Maybe we'll come years. back next week and talk about the stocks that we had thought about until we had to yeah. break this news. Yeah, absolutely. I had an MLP that I was thinking okay. about. but Teaser. Teaser for next week. We'll, we'll talk about that next week. But right. yeah, definitely. Uh, On to uh, other people's tweets then. Thanks, Scott. Other right. people's tweets. Let's so do it. This comes from Zero Hedge, at Zero Hedge. Uh, California halts fracking waste injections. Fears, quote, danger to life, health, and natural resources. Ooh, ominous. So that quote comes from the Bakersfield Californian I don't know if it's only online or if it's print, but I, I read it online. Um, this isn't injecting fracking uh, natural gas. This is injecting the fluids, the flowback fluids, into disposal wells mm-hmm. that they say are dangerously close to aquifers that could be that are used for drinking water. It's only for one county. I think it was Kern County, California. 
mm-hmm. but they said they sent a cease and desist order to seven oil and natural gas uh, independent oil and natural gas companies mm-hmm. to halt all fracking injection activity for the foreseeable future. Um, the article mentioned two small companies. Uh, I don't know if Occidental has any properties here in Kern County, but California is not a state that takes this very lightly. And Occidental, while they are trying to divest their California assets into a standalone company, mm-hmm. um, it does put them at risk, al- along with other drillers out there uh, on the EMP side. Yeah, I think there's if there's any worry that people will say, you know, we should stop doing this, especially if you look in Bakersfield. I mean, that's yeah. that's farm country yeah, in exactly. California. Uh, a lot of a lot of foods produced there for yeah. the United States. Um, you know, I, th- I think I think the wastewater injection is really what's giving fracking um, a bad rap these days, and I think it's something that does need to be addressed because, you know, if you're looking in Oklahoma right now, a lot of earthquakes are caused by injecting um, a lot of wastewater back yeah. in. So it's not actually the fracking process, which everybody thinks. Um, but, you know, this is this is an area that people are continuing to get better. It's a newer uh, way of actually uh, controlling some of the wastewater that you're getting from fracking. So you're going to see a lot of development here, and there's companies that are really trying to to protect and clean a lot of this water. Mm-hmm. You know, Halliburton is one that's doing or getting a lot of technology that yeah, will start the helping the out here. Yeah, the Future Initiative has got wastewater recycling properties all through it. Absolutely. So I think that's something that will help the industry overall. Um, then you're also seeing some companies like Devon Energy who has spent a lot of money early on um, for wastewater treatment facilities. They're a producer, so this is nice. Yes, to see yeah. so they, they, they saw that this could be an issue. Um, let's make sure that fracking is done correctly. Uh, as safe as possible so, you know, we can actually start accessing a lot of these resources mm-hmm. throughout America. So early on when they started uh, their, their commercial fracking, they built a lot of these facilities, costing them a lot of upfront money. But, you know, overall it made sure that they don't have any issues where they have to get, uh, where they can't uh, either frack a place or they can't uh, use a wastewater injection. So they made sure that everything was above board. They wouldn't have issues down the line. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of companies out there trying to, um, really hone in on this and, and make sure that wastewater injection is done properly. Like we said, the earthquakes are something that a lot of people are scared about. Um, if this stuff like this continues and it's getting into the water levels, uh, obviously that is an area that could halt a lot of fracking projects going forward. Yeah, one, the sooner companies realize that, in, in North America at least, there are no more secrets with social media and the accessibility of news to nearly everyone. The sooner companies realize that and just try to auto-correct themselves like a Devon Energy or the companies like Halliburton and others that are joining forces to help correct this and GE and the oil sands. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought about this last night when I saw McDonald's taking a one-and-a-half-year break from uh, kind of trying to revamp new menu items and revamp current menu items, more sustainable beef and things like that. To see McDonald's, an age-old U.S. brand known for fast food that might not be that good for you, trying to keep up with the Chipotle, who's now making ter- uh, awesome moves, mm-hmm. tearing through the stock market because of their sustainable practices. People are, are more inclined to go to these places, so mm-hmm. I think that Devon Energy uh, is well ahead of the curve, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a good thing for them in the long run. Absolutely. I mean, conscious capitalism yep. has shown that companies that are on that, on that leading edge uh, outperform uh, the stock market. That's exactly right. We'll continue to watch that. Uh, this, t- this time, on our last tweet... It's actually a combo tweet. So combo tweet. Combo tweet. First combo First tweet. First combo tweet. We're, we're advancing our tweeting uh, here at the Motley Fool TMF Energy. Uh, we have two. So they stem from each other. The first one I saw was from at Squarely Rooted, uh, talking about the flatlining in vehicle miles traveled in the U.S. is still totally bananas. BTW. By the way, 
So he shows a chart for our listeners, not our viewers, that around 2010, you'd seen mileage of cars driven in the United States, almost a hockey stick. It was. Straight 45-degree angle, all the way up to 2010, and then all of a sudden it takes a little dip in the recession and just never recovers. Perfectly flat lines. Perfectly flat for the last four years. That's pretty interesting to me. I know there's been a lot of urbanization, um, more commuter lines from uh, from the suburban areas near big big mm-hmm. cities. Um, I know in D.C. they're expanding the Silver Line out to Dulles. Other cities are doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's part of the, one of the reasons why. And then people are just moving to cities because it's more convenient. Mm-hmm. Um, you see all these creature comforts arriving in a city now. The violence is lowering in, in most major cities. Yeah. But then the second tweet. At fuel pricing answers him, not in a derogatory way. As a as an added bonus here, he says average miles per gallon for vehicles has increased consistently since October 2007. So when I read both of these, I, a couple questions pop into mind: mm-hmm. Are refiners in trouble? People aren't driving as much, and they're more fuel efficient. Um, highways are they going to need repairs as often because people aren't driving as much, mm-hmm. and uh, are car parts going to be replaced as often? There's three different industries that are going to be affected here if this plays out in the long term. Um, obviously, we're more inclined to talk about the refiners. Mm-hmm. Oil, I mean, gasoline sales might not be the biggest portion of their business in the U.S., but it certainly is a, is a portion that if pulls back continually like, like this mm-hmm. hints at, they might be in trouble. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I would agree with that to a certain point. I think a lot of mid-continent refiners could be in trouble mm-hmm. because their they're big markets are, company, are uh, areas like California. Um, however, if you look at a lot of the Gulf Coast refining, where there's a yep. lot there, we're still exporting a lot. Philip yep. 66 in 2012 wanted to double their export capacity. They're now looking at that again to even add more export capacity. Maybe they saw this coming. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, th- I think they did, and they looked overseas and saw how much Europe needed diesel. I mean, there's about a million barrels a day of diesel being shipped to Europe. Also, close to a million barrels a day of actual other fuels being exported. So you'll see some of the Gulf Coast companies. Uh, start continue to export. However, I think you know there's a lot of refiners that are inland that don't mm-hmm. have that uh, capability to, to actually export. So they could actually be hurt from this. Um, I think with the highways, uh, I think where the highway system is going to be in trouble is you're still going to see a lot of, of uh, actual large heavy-duty trucks on the roads, mm-hmm. and those are usually what tear yep. up the roads. So you're going to run into a tax issue. If your people are driving less, Uh, the taxes per gallon of gasoline are not going to be there. You might see taxes start boosting up. We'll drive gas prices even higher. Uh, So that's going to be a worry is how are you going to pay for these these new roads? And the third point was? Uh, The third point was car parts being replaced as often. So uh, just I don't even know. There's a few like auto um, pep boys. I don't know if Mm -hmm. that's a publicly traded stock. I know AutoZone is Mm -hmm. and and a couple others. But that was just a random thought. not that it would have any effect on the energy sector, but when you talk about the the gas price or the gas tax, mm-hmm. I saw a Daily Show last week, I think, and it was a pretty funny clip because everyone talks about the infrastructure and the need for investment here in the United States because roads are in such bad shape, bridges mm-hmm. are collapsing, and he yeah. showed that the gas tax hadn't been raised since like 1993. It's only 18 and a half cents a gallon. Mm-hmm. 
So to keep up with inflation, it should be much, much higher than that. And when he was mentioning it, every time he said gas tax, a red siren went off on the show because <laughs> nobody wants to talk about that in yeah. Congress because that is such a, a taboo s- subject that could probably preclude you from getting reelected if you decide to vote for raising that. Yeah, definitely. And, that, and that's the federal tax yep. on that where states have actually, a lot of states have actually have, yeah. have increased that. But there's still some states that are also have politicians mm-hmm. that are afraid to touch it. You know, it's just something that... It, it, it means so much to Americans having cheaper gasoline. Yeah. So if you're talking about adding taxes, that's going and you know to the oil companies don't want to raise taxes because people might not realize that it's a tax being raised. They might just think the oil companies are, are uh, taking yeah. higher profits. Absolutely, no, they already do. I yeah. mean, they look at oil companies and sit looking at these outsized profits because they're gouging them at gasoline. That's right. Uh, but that's usually not the case. It's um, almost always the taxes that are raising it. Mm-hmm. Well, cool, man. I think we covered everything. Anything else you want to leave us with? That's a... Uh, I mean, I think that that gasoline is. I, 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 I just, I, I really like seeing those charts, and yeah. I mean, I, I think the biggest it's good for America it is, and the thing I really like about it is looking at where gasoline prices were in 2005 and all the new uh, technology moving into making cars more efficient, mm-hmm. um, and that actually showing the the amount of gasoline being used, and I think that drives a lot of it. It's not less people actually on the roads it's getting a lot more out of what we have Mm -hmm. and a lot of that is technology because higher gas prices so take that russia we're using less oil shows the innovation that we continually strive for all right well that's it for today remember energy at fool.com at tmf energy get us your questions we'll get you up on this screen we'll read it off to you for joel and taylor fool on